Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. In 1893, at the age of 23, Mohandas Gandhi left India for South Africa, a shy, tongue-tied, average little man with enormous ears whose past was full of failure. Ten years later, called a saint even by those who opposed him, he was the leader of 100,000 people in one of the most remarkable experiments in history, a war without violence. He returned to India not as M.K. Gandhi, but as the Mahatma, great soul. Over the next 20 years, he grew to become the leader of 400 million Indians in their struggle for independence from the British Empire. Mahatma Gandhi said, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. This morning, in celebration of the blessing of the animals and of the Mahatma's 146th birthday, I invite you to reflection on Gandhiji for his striving for what I'll call a seamless life, a life of inquiry, reflection, and action, and what it calls us as people of spirit to do and to be. Mahatma Gandhi stood in and not above the long line of prophets and teachers, activists, and transformers before him based on what historian Joseph Lelyveld revealed in his in lurid detail in his 2011 biography, Great Soul. We now know that the great soul was as flawed a human being as any of us. But in what Gandhiji called his experiments with truth, he strove for a seamless life. As a youngster, he exhibited a violent temper. As an adult, he sat peacefully through extraordinary violence. As a young man, he dabbled in smoking, eating meat despite his Hindu upbringing, drinking, stealing, and living lavishly, and then grew up to make his life a work of art. He wrote, my life is an indivisible whole. Biographer Eknath Iswaran traveled to meet the Mahatma at Sevagram, which means village of service. He wanted to know, he said, the secret of Gandhiji's power. In the prayer meeting that evening, Eknath Iswaran got his answer. Together with the rest of the ashram, he returned from the brisk after-dinner walk and in the relative cool of the evening, settled down with them around the neem tree these verses were read out from India's most treasured scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. They live in wisdom who see themselves in all 
and all in them, whose love for the God of love has consumed every selfish desire, every selfish desire and sense-craving tormenting the heart. As Isfaran watched, the small man seated in front of him, Gandhiji, grew motionless, absorbed in meditation on these verses. I was no longer hearing the Gita, Isfaran recalls. I was seeing it, seeing the transformation it describes. A recurring theme in Gandhiji's life is his relationship to failure. Despite traveling first to England and then to South Africa to escape his shortcomings, he found that he had taken all his problems with him with his luggage. Wherever you go, there you are. And perhaps more harshly than in some of our lives, every time he ran away from failure, the same situation always seemed to recur in even more threatening proportions. In his mid-twenties, his law career was a non-starter. His colleagues referred to him as the briefless barrister. With nowhere left to look for help outside, he turned inward on his long journey of self-discovery. He reasoned if changing his environment did no good, why not try to change himself? When the Black Plague broke out in the squalid Indian ghetto of Johannesburg, the sick and dying were taken to an abandoned, quarantined building where a heroic English nurse spent long hours alone caring for them. One evening at the height of the epidemic, a small figure appeared at the door. She shouted a warning, get out, this is plague. But the man replied quietly, it's all right. I've come to help. Gandhiji bent over a dying man. Leave him, the nurse said. I'm used to it. But he proceeded to attend to the man himself, telling the nurse, he is my brother. And so the ideal of selfless service took hold in Gandhiji and became his organizing principle. He simplified his life to free time and energy Everywhere he began to see the possibility to choose between living for himself alone or living for the sake of others. The freedom he felt, he said, was exhilarating. His daily spiritual practice was to eschew all complacency, mental, physical, spiritual, and look deeply into his own nature and the part he wanted to play in the world he dreamed painstakingly, devotedly. He continually made changes in his life, his way of life, chipping away at inconsistencies and polishing imperfections. In the wonderful BBC documentary entitled Gandhi's India, a woman named Asha Devi is asked, don't you think that he was a bit unrealistic, that he failed to reckon with the limits of our capacities? Asha Devi replies, there are no limits to our capacities. This is the hymn to Gandhiji's life. 
that our greatness lies not so much in being able to remake the world outside us as in being able to remake ourselves. While one does not necessarily come before the other, our work to remake the world may just as well remake us as the other way around. A rich and generous spiritual life includes both. How does the Mahatma's hymn speak to us? What does the idea of a seamless life call us to do and to be? The first step is to take a hard look at the ways in which our own lives are not seamless. That's the first step, and it is hard. And likewise, the second step and every step thereafter, with them we commit to the spiritual practice of seamlessness, of living into the answer to the question, how can we make our lives indivisible? I regret to inform you that if I started a recitation of the list of inconsistencies in my own life, we would be here for many hours today. This sermon actually began as I ran toward home, a new run for me, through the woods and out into an open field with a huge boulder at the border. What a fabulous place to stop and meditate and pray. I scrambled up, but the thought came unbidden, I don't have time. The irony of a minister who doesn't have time to meditate was not lost on me. Yes, I stayed put and sat on the rock and prayed. And then, within hours, I spotted an older Asian couple standing at the intersection of Arlington and Boylston Streets, a map held up between them, looking in opposite directions from each other. Having incurred a lifetime of indebtedness to strangers who helped me navigate Japan as a 20-year-old, it is my practice, my spiritual practice, to pay it forward by stopping to help. But yet again, the thought came unbidden. I don't have time. Yes, I stopped and sent them on their way to Fenway Park. St. Francis, the saint whose feast day is celebrated with the blessing of the animals, said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. I thought, I need to talk to my peeps about my little problem. These are small things. Making excuses for not doing the right thing, like my experience, or letting the water run as we brush our teeth, or getting lazy about our travel mug or our reusable shopping bags, or maybe abandoning the shopping cart in the parking lot rather than returning it to the corral. These are small things. And then there are big things. Eating or drinking things that are destructive of our health, or just more than we need, or driving a car that burns too much fossil fuel, or driving when we could have taken public transportation. But small and big are not necessarily helpful categories because we're speaking of seamlessness. It's all small and it's all big and small adds up to big. I'm not talking about political correctness, which though correct is tedious and wearisome. I'm talking about 
our spiritual lives, our souls, about how we feel about the person we see when we look in the mirror. It's what Michael Jackson meant when he sang, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways and no message could have been any clearer if you want to make the world a better place. Then look at yourself and make a change. It's what poet Mary Oliver meant when she wrote in part in her poem, The Journey, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Those the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. It was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stone, but little by little as you left their voices behind. The stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. This is what it is to walk the walk of the spiritual path, to seek to embody the teachings we cherish and to live our values and ideals. As Unitarian Universalists, our first and seventh principles call us into a covenant that affirms and promotes every living being and respect for this luminous interdependent web of life. We are not separate from anything. Every choice we make, everything we do, affects everything else. Beloved spiritual companions, our greatness lies not so much in being able to remake the world outside us as in being able to remake ourselves. As our consciousness of our inquiry, reflection, and action becomes ever more refined, may our lives become more seamless. Mahatma Gandhi believed that we and the society we create will be measured by how we treat animals and all those in need of our care. May we bless the animals today, and may we, by our thoughts and words and actions, indivisible, bless all living things every day. Love, service, justice.